We're going to pick up right there in verse 9 of the fourth chapter of Esther. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned, this is kind of an odd little book of Esther. The people are trapped in exile, and we actually start off with a story about the king in the land where they are. And the king in the land where they are is exactly what you think of when you think of spoiled, rotten royalty. He's not interested in ruling. He's interested in feasting and getting what he wants and throwing parties. To the extent that this book starts off with the king and his buddies in a drunken feast, and he decides it's appropriate at that point to ask his wife, Queen Vashti, to come out and parade in front of the boys wearing just her crown. By the way, if you think there's no sex or nudity in the Bible, you are sadly mistaken as well. She refuses to do so, and he has her killed. The next thing that happens is that he still needs a wife, so he decides the best way to find a wife is to have a nationwide beauty pageant. And he does. And some of the texts kind of have, and the commentaries kind of have it as Mordecai, who is Esther's uncle, kind of pushing her to apply. And others have soldiers and guards coming and just picking out all the good-looking girls and dragging them off to the palace. However it happens, Esther becomes queen. Esther is Jewish. She's been raised by her uncle Mordecai because her parents are dead and she is an orphan. And Mordecai is relatively successful in life. He's well, relatively well-known. And if this were a Disney film, we would have the bumbling idiot of a king, the beautiful queen, and the evil vizier. And that's Haman. So Haman comes in to the situation. and Haman doesn't like Mordecai. And he tries multiple times to get Mordecai in trouble and have Mordecai put out of the way. And kind of the last straw for Haman is that Haman has a statue erected. If I'm remembering correctly, it's not even of the king, it's of Haman. And Mordecai won't bow to the statue of Haman. And that is the last straw. Haman must die. And not just Haman, all of Haman's people, all of the Jews. And so 
uh, all of Mordecai's people, all of the Jews. And so Haman does what you do, apparently, and throws some dice, and that decides that he'll do this in a year. But the paper is already written. And that news is what has been circulating, and that's how we get to the start of chapter four today. Mordecai is not happy about this, and he's not going to take it lying down. So he puts on sackcloth and ashes, as you do. You know, all of us has put on sackcloth and ashes at some point, right? Goes through city streets wailing, wailing, crying out. The Greek version has him going through the streets crying out. An innocent nation is about to die. And then he plops himself down outside the gates because you're not allowed to go into the palace wearing sackcloth because, quite frankly, the king doesn't want to hear about anything that might lead you to wear sackcloth and ashes. Good news only, please. Only news that I want to hear, please, here in the palace. The king is really, well, he's in the party zone and Haman is running the show. That's really what's happening. Part of the power of this story for us is that if we're paying attention and listening, we will hear this story repeated a number of other times or other stories imported into this one, not just from scripture. So we've done the, the Disney thing. You all got the Disney parallel, right? There's always a Disney princess. There's always a bad guy. The king is always an idiot. Um, this is exactly the story of William Tell in Switzerland. He refused to bow down to a cap of the ruler and that's why he was forced to shoot an apple off his son's head. This is that story. Jeff already asked us to go back to the 1940s this morning. This is that story as well, where a power-hungry ruler decided that the Jews needed not to exist. This is that story as well. This is the story of a young woman who sort of knows and has been sort of told by her uncle that her people aren't always highly regarded. And so she is going to spend her days passing as something other than what she is. Because it's safer. There are a lot of relevant pieces of our lives that play out in Esther. What happens is honestly that Esther has been trapped in the palace and she is unaware of what's going on out in the world, whether intentionally or unintentionally, she has no idea. And so what she does is what a lot of us do. She sends Haman some new clothes. Because if he just put on other clothes, it would all be fine, right? Mordecai. Yeah, I keep on swapping Haman and Mordecai, I know. Um, Mordecai is the one who actually needs the new clothes. And so Mordecai says, nuh-uh, this is what's happening. And you may not know this in the palace, but everybody out here knows this. Oh, did I mention there was something about rulers being disconnected from the people? Not that that's relevant in today's world at all, ever. Um, and so 
there's this eunuch. I feel really sorry for the poor eunuch who is just running back and forth with these messages. He would be completely ready to be carrying the mic at prayer time here in our church. And so Mordecai sends back to Esther and says, no, no, no. This is a problem. And you're not going to be safe even where you are because Haman doesn't like me and Haman knows you're attached to me. He's not that stupid. Mordecai has all the notes. He has the receipts. He has the decree. He is ready to send them back. And so the eunuch runs back to Esther with all the evidence and says, and Esther says, well, you know, the eunuch is running back this whole time to carry this message too. You know that if you go talk to the king without him asking you, you're dead, right? You get that? By the way, this is the setup for 1001 Arabian Nights as well, in case you were familiar with this. Um, and I haven't seen the king in 30 days, and I'm his wife. Mordecai isn't ready to take that, sends a message back. Don't think that even in the king's palace, you'll be fine. This is your hidden God reference if you're looking for it. If you keep silent, relief and deliverance will come from another place. That other place in the, in the Hebrew is Makom, and that is actually one of the names the Jews will use for God. Another place. Another source. One we can't find, one we can't identify, one we don't know where it's coming from. But somewhere out there, it will come. And then the famous line from the book of Esther is, perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther takes charge, says, okay, you guys fast. I'm going to fast. Let's do this. And then I will go in. And if I perish, I perish. In order to get you to read the rest of the book, you can go home and read the next five, six, seven, eight chapters. Um, no spoilers right now. The power in this story is what was just illustrated by Jeff's Minute for Mission. It's been illustrated by mission reports and mission trips for hundreds of years. What Mordecai does in a very public very chastising, very painful way is draw attention to something that needs to be dealt with. This entire story is about principle and standing on principle. Vashti will not go out and be paraded around. And she's willing to die rather than do that. Mordecai will not let his people quietly be exterminated by a bad faith actor. And he has a friend in high places, and by God, he's going to use it. He's going to remind everybody who sees him that things are not right. So he puts on his sackcloth, he puts on his ashes, and he goes, and he parades himself, and he plants himself right outside the palace gates. What do you think would have happened if Haman had seen him before Esther? 
Esther, because now we're going to get into the spoilers. Esther does the same thing. What she does is a little bit devious and very political. She requests permission from the king to host a banquet just for him and Haman. And it's such a good banquet the first night that they invite What do you want? The king says, what do you want? This was so good. I'll give you whatever you want. She says, oh, all I really want is for you to let me do this again tomorrow night. And so she does. And then it tells us that uh, the king goes to sleep, um, but can't sleep. So he's reading through royal records and finds out that somehow Mordecai had saved his life, had reported that two of his eunuchs were going to kill him. And he says, so what did we do for this man? And everybody goes, well, we didn't do anything for him. And so that second night, the king sets Haman up. Haman, what should the king do to honor someone? And Haman has a long list of things that the king should do to honor someone. A good horse, some really good robes. You should have somebody leading him around town proclaiming that this is somebody that the king honors and respects who has done great things. And, of course, Haman is going... When's my time? When, when's my glamour shots? When's my parade? And the king says, well, that sounds great. Why don't you go take care of that for Mordecai? Haman's not a fan. The next night when he comes in, he's perturbed to see that Mordecai isn't afraid of him, won't bow his head, won't do any of that. And uh, so Haman actually has a gallows built in the courtyard so that Mordecai can see it. And so they go to dinner the third night. Because so far, Esther has asked for nothing other than the pleasure of their company for another night. And it goes as well as it had. And what do you want, Esther? This has been great. What can I give you? Well, let's talk about your lying, scandalous vizier over here, Haman, who is trying to wipe my people off the face of the earth. I would not have wanted to be Haman in that moment. Haman ends up hung on the gallows he erected for Mordecai. And the story turns entirely on people who were willing to stand up and say, this is not right. They did it in a number of different ways. Mordecai does it in the traditional way. He's got his sackcloth. He's got his ashes. He's got his wailing, his gnashing of teeth. He looks like a Jew in trouble. Esther dresses to the nines and throws a banquet three times. There is a danger that is not hidden in this scriptural narrative about standing up when things are not right. There's a danger. The Japanese have a saying that the nail that stands up is the nail that gets pounded down. 
There is a danger to that. And yet, at times, we're all willing to run the risk. Esther says quite blatantly, if I perish, I perish. Most of us probably aren't either that pithy or that convinced. But there comes a time when we do what we have to do, consequences be damned. We've talked about it in terms of parents and children, children and parents, friends, policies. The piece that we talked about, that Jeff talked about, that we talked about in Sunday school, is that usually we only become aware of these things because somebody makes us aware of these things. Somebody has to make us aware. And often it doesn't matter until it comes home to roost. The first time Jeff asked to do this minute for mission 20 years ago, it must have terrified him. But he felt it needed to be said. I don't know that anything has ever terrified Tom Logan. <laughs> I said anything. I didn't go to anyone, Tom. But this congregation would not be aware of water on the global scale, would not have our ears perked up to Malawi, Tanzania, Zambia, and now Mozambique, and issues of clean water if it wasn't brought to us. Because frankly, we turn on the tap and it comes, and I mean, the water system has changed a little bit, but I mean, everybody complains about Marian water, but there is nothing to complain about with Marian water after you've seen Malawi water. This is how it's worked with race. This is how it's worked with gender. Yesterday, for the first time, a woman coach of a college men's soccer team won the national championship. There was a time when that was inconceivable. For that group of guys, it will just be normal. And she was their championship winning coach. Somebody has to be the first. Somebody has to be willing not to back down. And that ultimately is what this story is about. I think it is more powerful by the fact that God doesn't rush in to save them. That there's no deus ex machina coming in. There's no angels from on a high. There's no magical, mystical prayer answered in a glorious way with a heavenly chorus of angels because God has already put the right people in the right places to deal with the problems of the world. We talk and we think about these only being people who are remembered in history, people who won't give up their seat on the bus, people who are, who are killed, people who get written in history books. But in terms of day-to-day -day life, probably everybody here remembers somebody who stood up for us when it wasn't popular. Those memories don't go away. They may not make the evening news or the history books, 
but we are asked over and over and over again to look at the world and say, this is not right, and to do something about it. Simply because we are part of the chosen people of God. It is in our identity. It is in our DNA. And so this this passage, this Esther story ends up as we like it to end up. The good guys win. The bad guys are punished. Justice is done and we ride off into the sunset. It's a very Disney Bible story. We need to be careful that we don't keep it that domesticated. Because this is what we are asked to do all the time. This congregation has learned these things. We are the only congregation with no steps that is 60 plus years old in their building. And this congregation learned watching Granger struggle to move. How that changes things. Later, we've all learned how hard it is to move with a walker or wheelchair or crutches, how doors aren't made for this and that. But we learned first because a child came among us and forced us to look. And that is part of why this is an Advent passage. Because a child is coming among us who is going to force us to look in new ways and in different ways. Mordecai is willing to give up his dignity and his pride and his place to get the attention of Esther. Esther is willing to give up her place in the kingdom, in the palace, and in power for the sake of her people and her beloved uncle. And God is willing to give up Jesus Christ for us. This is an Advent story like no other because it doesn't need to say Jesus to say Jesus. Friends, as you go out this week, consider what it is that needs attention drawn to it. Consider whether you are in that place for such a time as this. And know that God doesn't need to show up for the people of God to show up. To God alone be the glory this day and forevermore. Amen.